0: From the Epistle to Titus, from the Apostle Paul, chapter 2. For the grace of God, and that word grace is the charismata. It's in the masculine tense. And it's referring to this charismatic gift, the gift of God's grace, who is Jesus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. In Schultz's comic strip, Peanuts, Charlie Brown is trudging off of the mound, off of the baseball diamond after another humiliating defeat. And he's very dejected as he speaks to his friend Linus and says, Life is too hard to bear. I can't stand it. We're thrown into life before we're ready for it. We weren't prepared for life. He said, what we need is a chance to warm up first. There's some things that you have to get ready for. You need a little warming up before it happens. And Christmas is like that. And so the church has always tried to prepare its faithful for the Christmas event, believing that you cannot really capture the mystery and the wonder of the incarnation unless you're spiritually conditioned for it. And so in the weeks called Advent, prior to the celebration of Christmas, We want to reorient our minds again to the event that not only brought to a climax 17 centuries of sacred history, but itself changed the history of the world. We need to kind of warm up for it. And there's no better way to warm up for Christmas than to re-examine this text, really not a not a not a Christmas text. You probably not never heard it preached on Christmas for a Christmas sermon. But there's no better way, really, than to get ready for the event of events than to re-examine this marvelous text. For after all, Christmas is more than just the celebration or recalling of a baby born in a barn. Really, it has much more ultimate and profound implication than that. For example, Christmas is an event that celebrates the past, a celebration of the past. And so he says in the past tense, grace has appeared, the invisible has become visible. And it's a metaphorical way that he uses to describe the incarnation and the mystery of it. That time that the invisible God became visible man. And in this profound statement, he, there is a claim and a content and a communication. And the claim is that this baby born in Bethlehem had a previous existence unknown to man. So that when they came to Bethlehem and saw this baby, they saw one who had always been. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And John declares in the prologue of his gospel what theologians call the most daring Christology in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in that daring Christology, he takes Jesus back past the preaching of John the Baptist and past the birth, his birth in Matthew 1, and back past the preaching of the prophets and the majesty of the throne of David and the incomparable patriarchs and the creation of the world. And he says, There never has been a time when the living Word did not exist. And he was with God. And it means face-to-face with. When kings came together in the ancient world, in order to be equal, they had to sit level. And so if one was shorter than the other, they put a pillow under him. So they literally sat at the same level as the other king, eye-to-eye, that's where we get the phrase. They, stood, they were eye-to-eye, you know, or something. And face to face, and what he's saying is that from the very beginning, go all the way back as far as you can go in time, and there you find Jesus, co-equal, face to face, on an equal standing with God. And he was God, he said. And because he didn't put the definite article before the word God, he's not just talking about identification, he's talking about essential essence and what he's saying is this that you go all the way back as far as you can go and you find this Jesus born in Bethlehem co-equal and co-eternal with almighty God that's the claim and the content is that he has appeared in grace how did he come he did not come in power and he didn't come in glory he came in grace the most popular word in the Christian vocabulary. The key word in Paul's theology. The watchword of the Protestant Reformation. And the shorthand word for God's self-disclosure. Grace. What does it mean? It means God moving in His favor to bestow His greatest gift upon those who deserve His greatest punishment. Grace. A burglar forced to open the door of a house. He, he thought, you know, there's nobody home here, but I'll just check for sure. He said, anybody, anybody home? He heard this little voice, weak, faint voice said, Jesus sees you and I see you. And he's kind of startled and he, and he said, what what's that? And, and the little voice said again, Jesus sees you and I see you. And so he flipped on his flashlight and he caught, a, caught the glimpse of a parrot in a cage and the parrot said Jesus sees you and I see you and he kind of laughed and he turned on the lights and for the first time he saw that Doberman sitting under the parrot's sitting under the parrot's cage and the parrot said attack Jesus, attack <laughs> now 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 when he came he did not come to attack The most non-violent man who has ever lived. How silently, how silently that wondrous grace was given. And he came in grace. And that's the content of his coming. And how was that manifestation of his grace communicated? The scripture says that it was communicated in his giving. It says that he gave himself. He came to give himself away. In that same Peanuts cartoon, there's Schroeder, you know him. This intellectual piano loving guy. He was often interrupted by a dumb question by Lucy, his admirer. And one day he's playing the piano and Lucy asks, Schroeder, what is love? And he gets up and speaks formally, love, noun, to be fond of. To have a strong attraction, affection, uh, attraction, devotion to a person or thing and sits down. And Lucy's kind of stunned by that and she muses on paper, he's great. Love on paper. It's easy to say, I love you. It's perhaps the easiest thing anybody can say. We say it all the time I love you. But the Christmas reality is not love as a principle, it's love with a face. It has hands and feet and a face. See from his head his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingling down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? our thorns compose so rich a crown? How did he communicate this love? He gave himself away. And Bennett Cerf tells about the little child who lived in a children's home. And every day she'd go down to the edge of the property, to the big iron gate that separated her from the rest of the world. And she'd stand there, this lonely little child. Can't you see her? And she'd press her face against the bars, holding on, looking at people and, Houses and homes. And one day this lonely child took a piece of paper and wrote a note, put it in a little envelope and dropped it outside the gate near where a park bench had been placed. And one day an old man came shuffling by on his morning walk and he sat down on the park bench to rest a moment and he saw the envelope and he picked it up and it read, Whoever finds this, I love you. And so every Christmas we make our way to Bethlehem again and we find that living Word written in flesh, I love you, signed God. And with His finger firmly fixed upon the past, God declares the marvelous event of His love. And as one professor in Oxford put it, we have the temper to look around us and say, Look what our world has come to. And those early shepherds went bounding up the hillsides shouting, Look what has come to our world. I say to you, Christmas declares, Look what has come to our world. It celebrates the past. But Christmas anticipates the future. Did you notice what he said in the text? He said, we look for the glory of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the second advent. Has it ever occurred to you that Christmas does not only point to a past event, but to a future event, when what he did at Bethlehem will be brought to its ultimate climax? For what Christmas does is to pulsate with the hope that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he'll complete what he came to do the first time. How do you anticipate the future? The economist looks into the future with fear and tells us that we're on the lip of the cup of a recession, perhaps a depression. That's scary. The politicians talk of war and tell us that war is imminent. And that the clouds of war have gathered on the horizon, the likes of which we have not seen in years. A war that means bloodshed. And there are some who are saying, you know, it's not going to get any better. And parents are frightened about raising their children in a culture of sexual license and drug abuse. I was talking to somebody the other day who moved from Dallas, and I asked, why did you move from Big D to Little D? He said, well, we're afraid of the gang violence that's developing in the city. This is a scary world. And while we talk about the future with fear, we're building our bombs and our warheads, nuclear bombs and warheads, And we talk about them, measure them in terms of megatons. We have a nuclear warhead that's 100 times greater than the one that destroyed Japan. If it explodes in the air, it makes a fireball 100 million degrees centigrade, 15 times the temperature of the sun. And if it's exploded over the city of Detroit, a mile and a half in the air, it will kill instantly 300,000 people. And the northeast quadrant of America becomes a nuclear wasteland. And somebody asked a little boy after seeing the movie the day after, what do you want to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now? He said, alive if it's possible. And I saw a caption the other day in New York magazine of a man who went behind his door and locked it. it, had seven locks on the door, dead bolts and sliding bolts and safety locks. And while he was locking his door by the seven boat locks, there was this saw cutting a hole in the floor where he was standing. And the message of that caption was, there is no place to escape this scary world. And these folks to whom Paul addressed this letter lived in the same terror, economic disaster. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. Political threat, war and rumors of war every day. Threat of bodily harm, of course. Psychologists have documented that there are at least 15 cases in my lifetime of people who are literally scared to death. Four of them children. They couldn't fight. They couldn't flee. And and, and they weren't really injured bodily. They didn't have any physical harm. But in the stress and the anxiety of their fear, their hearts gave way. This is a scary world. It always has been that way. How do these people survive in the midst of that terror? I tell you how they survived. They survived in the anticipation of the imminent return of the Lord. And every morning they searched the heavens for the first flaming of His advent feet. And they literally endured persecution and scorn and hatred buoyed by the fact that their Lord was coming back to vindicate them just as the Old Testament throbs with the hope of His first coming. The New Testament throbs with the hope of His second coming. I ask you this morning, do you live in the hope so great is your hope of His return that you've already welcomed it? Christmas not only celebrates the past and anticipates the future, Christmas consecrates the present. Now this is what he said. He said, grace has appeared in the past tense and His glory will appear in the future tense. We live in that hope. In the meantime... In the interval that exists between the advents, he's saying, did you notice it? He said, you ought to live godly lives. Pure, honest, godly lives. And the interesting thing about that construction in the Greek language is that he's not saying you ought to do this and you ought to be ashamed if you don't. The construction in the Greek is such that he's saying in essence... There's no reason why you can't. And there's no excuse why you don't. You have the ability, saying, the potential, the power to live a godly life in the interval. In this present age, he called it. You have the power to live just like Jesus. In fact, Martin Luther said, every believer ought to be Jesus to his neighbor. Now, how is it possible that a man or a woman or a child can live just like Jesus in this godless age? The answer is because Jesus is still here. E. Stanley Jones tells about the day that Gandhi was assassinated. He said, The whole nation was plunged into mourning. And the news and the radio stations took up the morning and people would get on the news, on the radio station and they'd eulogize Gandhi. He said, one day I was listening to the radio, and this Hindu poet by the name of Nadu, famous in it in India, got on the news on the radio and was eulogizing Gandhi, wailing in her sorrow, and this is what she said. Oh Bapu, oh little man, please come back. For we are orphaned without you. Please come back to lead us. And said East Stanley Jones, I turned off my radio and I thought to myself, we're not orphaned and we are not without leader. For when the almighty God who came in flesh ascended to glory, did Jesus He sent the other Jesus to indwell us. And I remember the words of Ian Bale when he said, It becomes a weary business to constantly strain our eyes to the past, to try as best we can to find some heroic figure we want to imagine as vividly as possible. What we need, he said, is God here and now. I have good news for you, folks. God is here and now. And this, and, the, and the good news of the gospel is is that even though you were not there when He walked on this earth, that's not necessary. He still does. And to those people who offer their lives to Him and make themselves available to Him, He indwells. He does indwell. And I read about this young doctor who was plunged into depression and he couldn't eat and he couldn't sleep and he wouldn't smile. And one day his wife said to him, it was Christmas, she said, honey, i got to go do some Christmas shopping. Why don't you go with me and get out of the house? It'll do you some good. She said, I'm going to be down by the church building. Why don't you go in the church building and just, you know, maybe some prayer and meditation will make you feel better. He didn't know that she had already prearranged to have one of the actors of the, of the city theater to come and stand in the triforium and with eloquent voice give the Christmas story again. And so he did. And he sat there in that church building for a moment and, He was meditating, and all of a sudden he heard this voice, so beautiful and so eloquent, began to tell the story again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and all of a sudden something happened inside of him, something warm and wonderful, and he bounded out of the church building, and he couldn't wait to tell his wife he was healed. He was was made new. He was made whole again. And he found his wife and he embraced her. You can't imagine what happened to me in the church building. He told a story. And through her tears, she opened up that little piece of paper that she just received from that actor, apologizing. I won't be able to come and do what you've asked in the Triforium of your church. You say, oh, it's just a story, just a myth. Oh, you know, Christmas time, those stories pop up all the time. Maybe so. But the reality is just the same, that something happens in a person's life when he makes himself available to the living God. Something wonderful. Something new. And so Augustine who literally changed the theology of the world was a radical, revolutionary, rebellious man consorting with prostitutes. And one day he went into a garden, picked up a Bible and all of a sudden the God of those pages stepped out of that book and into his life. A few days later he saw this prostitute on the street. He passed her by as though he didn't notice her. She called, Augustine, it is I. And he turned around and said, yes, but this is not me. I know who you are, but you don't know who I am. And so Gertrude Barhana, five times divorced, alcoholic, got on her knees the shell of an empty woman, got up the temple of the living God and said, I wanted to ask, my God, what has happened to me? And then all of a sudden it dawned, my God has happened to me. And so you've come today, and your life is empty and ho- hopeless and fearful. You're distressed because you have a rebellious child, teenager. You're concerned because you have financial problems. You're worried because your loved ones are away off somewhere today in a perilous place. You've come today because you feel guilt and aloneness and estrangement. I tell you, God has come to you. For the meaning of Christmas is He consecrates the present. He makes it brand new. He makes it brand new. Let's pray together. Our Father, in these moments now that are before us, help us to look back to that event, forward to that event, But Lord, help us to see that today can be forever changed for us. I pray You'll give us the faith to open up our life to Jesus Christ. Give Him room. Give us the faith to trust Him. To believe that He is the great Reformer transformer for I pray in Jesus name for his sake now in a spirit of prayer look here there is an invitation this morning for you who have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior an old gentleman 76 years old called my house this week and he had been talking to his neighbor When I went out to see him, I said, tell me what has happened. He said, I have just invited Jesus into my heart. I want to know how I can be baptized. Some of you may want to do that this morning. You may want to ask Jesus into your heart. He is here. Would you like to come this morning to join our church? Would you like to come today to rededicate your life to Christ? We want you to. God wants you to. It's His invitation while we stand to sing.